Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over 20 years ago and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. Um, welcome to this live YouTube stream. This is going to be a lot of fun. We've been doing this um, every Wednesday for quite a while now. We've been doing InventRight for 20 years, but since the, the whole uh, current situation with uh, uh, the virus and everything, uh, we've, been, we've been doing these Wednesday meetings and everybody's been enjoying it. So um, if you want to type your questions, just to give you a heads up, what we're all about is licensing. So what licensing is, it's about um, renting or leasing your idea to a company and they give you the money. They don't give you the money, they use their money they use their workforce and they use their existing distribution and then they pay you a royalty quarterly every three months. That's what licensing is. So you don't need to start a business. You can file a provisional patent for 70 bucks. You don't need to go out and spend 10,000 on a patent. Um, quite often you can get away with a crude prototype or no prototype at all if it's fairly obvious how the product's gonna be made. And we've got a very particular approach to licensing that works really well. And we've had students in over 65 countries. We got students licensing stuff all the time. Steve and I and all our coaches and everybody at the company is very proud of that. So um, today, what we're doing during this full hour from 510 to 610 Pacific is answering your questions about licensing. Um, so let's just jump in and do that. Let's have fun with it. I've had a very busy day, but you know, you guys, whenever you get, you ask great questions and I do these sessions, it, it, it energizes me to, even though I'm tired, energizes me to have a lot of fun with it. And I don't think um, nobody ever tells me I don't have enough energy. So I think we're good. Uh, let's see. So let's just jump in. If you have some sort of handle for your Skype username, Put your name in there. Put your name's Bob or Sally or whatever at the beginning so I don't have to read your weird Skype handle and it can be a little bit more personable. Um, Javid says, hi, Andrew. I want to hire a graphic designer to help me for making the sell sheet and video. Do I need to sign an NDA with them? If yes, should what should be included? Um, any graphic designer that doesn't sign your non-disclosure agreement, um, I wouldn't work with them. And... You know, you don't want to do this with most companies, but with a graphic designer, you should have them sign an NDA and to go a little bit further with what's called an improvements clause. It basically says whatever improvements they come up with your invention, if they did, um, which they probably won't, that you would own those as well. Um, companies are a little skittish about signing those, but a graphic designer, a service provider should always sign that. So I would recommend an NDA with an improvements clause. Um, you wrote, do I need to sign an NDA with him? If yes, what should be included? So a standard non-disclosure agreement, so you're not going to disclose anything, and I would include an improvements clause as well. Um, I'm just taking a breath because I just got off a bunch of a bunch of calls here. All right, uh, Saeed, I have multiple ideas and inventions. Would I be able to license all of them by becoming your student? <laughs> Yes, Saeed, we can guarantee that. You will license everything you work on. No, of course we can't guarantee that. Um, what we guarantee at InventRight is that you'll do and say everything right, and then it's up to the companies as to whether or not they're interested. We can never guarantee you're going to license your product. Um, how long will the course take? Um, the course is for six months, our program. It's not a course. So, um, you know, I don't like saying education or calling it a course because it's it's six years of of 
mentoring and guidance, experiential learning, where you're learning by working on your project from day one. There's no quiz or test. You're working on your project and your coach is guiding you. And so that's how our students learn. And so on your first project, it always takes longer. Second project's like two to 10 times faster. Um, so, uh, you know, so, that we, so we do that for half a year. You know, and uh, it seems like a long time and everybody wants to go, oh, well, I just want to jump in and I'll license this thing in two weeks. It's not really how it works because you're learning when you're with us, you're working on your project. And as you work on things, you're doing it the first time. And the first time you do anything, it's always going to take longer. Second time, when I see people work on a second project, it's like two to ten times faster. So you're learning and you're doing. But what people like about it is it's not theoretical. You're learning with your project. You know, and then if you have time, maybe you work on another one as well, or you talk to your coach about some other projects. We don't limit our students from talking to the coach about other projects, but coming out of the gate with three or four, that doesn't work. We've seen students try to in the past. We don't let people do that. They can only work on one at the beginning, but once they get the calls and then they can work on others. So we don't limit you to one project, but if you're brand new coming out of the gate, at that point, you need to just pick one project to work on. Then later, once you get the calls in, you don't need to be done with the calls in project number one, but you need to um, you need to have started to get those 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 calls in. Uh, let's see. <laughs> the other thing Saeed said, would you take care of the whole process? Absolutely not. I mean, we're your coach, mentor, teacher. We'll guide you. We'll tell you what to say back to a company. We'll tell you what to say in the next call. We'll show you how to improve your marketing materials. We'll show you how to improve your list of companies. We'll show you how to file a PPA, but you're doing the work. We're not going to do it all for you. Um, you know, the companies that claim to do it all for you, there's these invention promotion companies. And I can just tell you from my personal experience, I'm not talking about any company in particular, because I would never say anything libelous about any company in particular. But um, I've never met an inventor in 20 years I've been doing this in the 14 years I did my Inventors Association that has ever had an invention promotion company license a product for them. So um, uh, be very wary of companies that say they'll do all this for you, because I just don't see it working out. So, um, so good question, Saeed. Uh, Mark says, hello, I have a, a number of invention ideas that I'd, I would be unable to make a prototype for based on my lack of specific skill set. Uh, any ideas on how to best outsource that work? Well, the question, Mark, is do you need to make a prototype on it at all? So if it's fairly obvious how it's going to be done, just because you can't make the prototype doesn't mean you, you have to. So if you, the company says, well, how are we going to do this? And you're like, oh, well, there's this thing over here. There's these glasses over here. And you see how this hinge goes like this, but I just changed it to go like this. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we can get some quotes for that. We can see that that could be done. So by citing similar products and just explaining what your change is, um, don't think that you have to have this beautiful production-ready prototype to license a product because you absolutely don't. Um, so the, the real question you should be asking, Mark, is not whether or not you can make a prototype, but whether or not you think the company can do it. If you're fairly certain the company can do it, just move forward. Do your sell sheet, do your, do your video sell sheet, and license it and, and see and try to put that onto them, Okay. But if you're like, I don't even know this could be done. I don't understand the technology. Now, maybe you don't understand the technology behind the invention, but you understand your piece of it. Well, I'm just putting a hinge over here. I don't understand all the inner workings, but I don't need to. They will because it's obvious there's other products out there that use all that technology. 
I don't need to understand that. So most inventors don't understand that they can do this and our students do. So it's a very empowering approach. So that's a great question. Um, that was from Mark. Great, great question. Um, so he also said, well, how do I outsource the making of the prototype? So like maybe you still do for whatever reason want to outsource the making of that prototype. You can, you can definitely um, do that, but it's going to vary tremendously on what type of product, how far do you need to go with the prototype, what it is that you need. So I, I really can't answer that question specifically because um, it's really going to depend on the product. Um, Vic says, uh, hi, Andrew. Thanks for the call with Amy, Joe, and Paul last week. Their information came in handy. Paul is our negotiation coach. Amy is one of our coaches. Um, as I'm in the process of a contract, thanks to InventRight. Wow, that's great, Vic. Fantastic. And you got a smiley face and a thumbs up. So, and hopefully you'll be getting a check soon. So, you know, let's talk about that real quick, though. With licensing, it's not a get-rich-quick thing, guys. You know, it can take a company... Um, three to nine months or maybe a little bit more to launch the product, then you get paid your royalties quarterly every three months. So quite often after you license the product, it's, it's, it's uh, over about a year or over a year before you start to see royalties. And that's normal. So um, when people go, oh, you know, I want to, I need to make money in two months. I go, well, don't do licensing. If you need to make money, great, but not in two months. Um, so you can make a lot of money with licensing, but it's not overnight. But what you're doing is you're tapping into this really big company. So what I like to say is you can have delusions of grandeur when you're licensing and you're not delusional because what they can do is amazing. They can sell half a million units. They can sell 50,000 units. They can sell 20,000 units. Depends on the product, right? They have all the money. They have the workforce. They have the distribution. So they can do amazing things. And you just had the idea and you brought it to them and then they're going to take it from there. But they can't do stuff overnight. You know, they just can't. Yeah, you could launch your own product, have a rinky-dink website, sell it here or there, and you sell a few units. But that's not what these big companies are doing. They're making big launches. They have timelines. They have a lot of other stuff they're already working on. They need to put it in that, that work process and get it up and running and do it right. And that takes a little bit of time. Uh, Gary, Von Gary, is it? a good idea to find potential licensees by going straight to the manufacturers and advertise with them. I don't know what that means. We'll see if I can figure it out. That way they can make the product there with the companies whom I'm licensing my technology to. Okay. So what usually the company, Gary, the, the company that you license to also does the manufacturing almost most of the time. Now they might have their own plant, or they're getting it made at a, by a contract manufacturer or in China or whatever, you don't care. You don't care where they're getting it made. You know, they're going to be doing the manufacturing. So the marketing company is going to be usually doing the manufacturing as well as the marketing. And it doesn't matter if they're outsourcing it to a contract manufacturer or doing it at their own captive plant. You don't really care as long as they're manufacturing it. So usually you're not going to find a separate manufacturer. Now, if it's something they really don't do and you could find that manufacturer that does this type of manufacturing and they're like, well, the brand or the company you're licensing is like, well, we don't do those types of that type of manufacturing. This is out of metal. We just do plastic. And you're like, oh, well, I have contract manufacturer that can do it. That's a bit of a stretch. You're asking them to do something they just 
don't do. They don't make metal products when they all make all plastic products. But you could do that in that scenario and you can make them more comfortable. Well, I've got these guys that say they can do it. And they're like, oh, the product really is intriguing. But that's going to be a little bit a little bit harder to pull off. Um, how, uh, Linda Marie, how important is it to have a video link on your sell sheet? Um, depends. Sometimes a sell sheet, just having graphics on one page PDF, it's clear what the product is and you don't need a video. You know, you got the right picture and you got the benefit statement, a few bullet points, maybe a sub picture, smaller picture too. And they look at it. Oh, I get it. You know? And so other times it can be very beneficial to have a video. Some of our students will just do a video and not do a sell sheet. Some will just do a sell sheet. Some will do a sell sheet with a link to a video. Um, and when our students work with a coach, they figure out what's right. And they tell you why you need both or why just a sell sheet or why just a video. And it, so it really depends on the product. So how important is it? Do people like videos? Yeah, they do. And they don't need to be amazing or beautifully produced. They just need to be direct and to the point. Um, so most of our students, they just shoot it with an iPhone or iPad or something like that and um, be direct and to the point. I think the, the most important thing that our students do is work with their coach on what the, the storyboard needs to be. Okay, we're going to do this scene, then this scene, this scene. A lot of times they'll just shoot it and it's just the person talking, showing something. Other times a video could be a series of still images where the inventor is doing the voiceover. A video isn't necessarily what you think it is. It could be a, just completely a series of still images with a voiceover. Um, it could be just focused on the inventor talking about the product, showing the product. It varies tremendously. Um, so Linda Marie, it depends on the product is the answer. Uh, Susie, can I pitch two products that go together to one licensee? The products wouldn't be in the same licensing category. Well, they, if they wouldn't be sold by the same company, the answer is no. So you say the same licensing category. So if it's a fishing product and the companion product is a cooking product and you're pitching a company making fishing lures and fishing products and you're saying, oh, well, you should sell this cooking product and they don't have a single cooking product, well, then it doesn't make sense. So it has to make sense. Both of the products need to make sense for their product line. Otherwise, they'll be like, well, we'd only do half of that. And the other half, it does that doesn't right for us. So then their knee-jerk reaction is, well, then this isn't right for us. So I know without example, specific examples, you know, it's hard to say specifically. But um, I think generally, if it's in a different category uh, that they wouldn't normally be in, I don't, I wouldn't push two of them. But don't take my answer for law because without seeing the product, I can't know 100% for sure. Okay. Um, and that goes with anything that I'm saying today. Um, I want everybody to benefit from my answers because nobody is sharing their product, nor should you, which I should make that disclaimer because you should make public disclosure in this setting. So don't include any links or anything in the chat. And then everything that I share is not legal advice. It's just business advice. So seek the services of an attorney before you take action on anything. Um, next one. Gary says, how important is it to have a name for your invention or your product you're working on? Is, is it mandatory to have it trademarked? No, and the trademark thing, we talk about this in almost every session. You know, again, up here, right there, uh, InventRight was, we've been around 20 years. Only last year did we get a registered trademark. It should say R now, but it's a TM. 
It's free to put TM, put people on notice that you intend on using it. And it offers you a certain measure of protection. We won't get into the details. And that's completely free. A lot of times they're going to change the name. Um, I think, you know, you want to have a working title. If the working title, it should be very descriptive. It shouldn't be um, too fanciful in trademark terms or too cutesy unless it makes sense. So if it helps you understand the product, great. But if so, I would make it more descriptive than too cutesy. You know, so when you have a good name, benefit statements and bullet points, and when they quickly six to 10 seconds kind of scan that sell sheet or video, um, they're looking over it and they're just bam, bam, bam. Oh, this is all making sense. So if the name can help it make sense um, quicker, a good name is important. But if your benefit statement is great and you don't have a name, that can work just fine. You know, uh, most of the time, yeah. You don't always have to have a name. Most of the time, it makes sense to have a name, though. Uh, I guess Lawn is your name. L-A-W-N is what you wrote. Um, my invention is a scientific method of producing electrical energy. Uh, it's obviously non-retail and would require tons of scientific research for commercial implementation. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, with I, I kind of joke about this with... Um, it says it's a way of producing electrical energy. So this is, I call people that do those types of products, energy inventors. And there are different kinds of energy inventors. And normally, I, I, most inventors are not wacky, but there's a percentage that are. And in the energy invention category, there are some whacked out freaking people in that area. Like, oh, Andrew, like on a liter of gas, you, you can run, I can run my car for a year or they just say whacked out stuff and they present themselves in a, in a really unscientific manner and just crazy, crazy, crazy. So the reason why I say that is if you have an energy invention, anybody that wor is working in that space, any companies working in that space, they have guaranteed experience, crazy, what I call energy inventors. So you want to do everything in your power not to be perceived as a crazy energy inventor. So you have to present it very professionally, show them how they're going to sell it. And yeah, they might reach back. And so you don't say things like when you, when you say things that sound unbelievable, which you could be a reputable scientific energy inventor. When you say things that are unbelievable, talk about that you've got some research, this or that. So they don't discount you before you get a chance to show your scientific data. So um, so not all energy inventors are crazy by any means, but one of the things you want to do is not be perceived as one of those. And even though it might be amazing what you can do, bring it down a notch and sound realistic so they don't put you in that category. Now, the other problem that you're talking about, Juan, is um, there's a lot of research needs to be done to prove it. So you've got a theory, but you can't prove it with all that research. And so you really need to figure out how to get uh, a grant or something to do that research. Now, your thought maybe is like, well, I could get them interested and then they can do that research. And that is valid. Um, but companies that are into science and all that, um, I would have at least enough data where they're like, oh, it would make sense for us to invest in further research to fully prove it out. So come across as knowledgeable if you don't have a background in it, maybe you got somebody working with you that does, and and then you can try to get them to do it. Um, but it's it's hard. It's hard with those energy inventions, um, without a doubt. And you have to think about what are the applications for it. 
right? Um, and show them what the possible applications for a lot of engineers, they don't do that. Like, is it to run an entire city? Is it just to run your RV? Is it as an energy backup for your house? Like you have to be specific and think about how it's gonna be marketed. And you wanna kind of go for the lowest hanging, easiest to implement iteration or version or for what market, then it can be proved out there and then go bigger. So always go for the smallest, easiest to implement most cost-effective, least research. And then once the technology is proven there, then you can retain the rights to license it for other applications, but you can get that first company to do that initial research. I'm going to a lot of detail. Most of you probably don't have energy inventions, but I've seen so many over the years. That's, uh, I think, very solid advice. Um, uh, Raul, hi, Andrew. What are the basic materials needed to submit ideas in the novelty industry? Sketch, PPA? digital mock-up sell sheet, which would give us a higher chance of licensing to a company. You can get away with less. You know, we just had Jason on from Fred and Friends and um, he's okay with sketches. Um, so this is what I would recommend. I would do a little bit more than you think you might need to do because with novelty, you can get away with less once they get to know you. Um, and then I would submit that to some companies and they say, oh, not interested in this product because it's normal to submit to, you know, 10, 20, 30 companies and maybe two show interest. But the 28 that don't, you say, hey, can I submit more? And you say, what do you want? Is your UK with just a simple sketch or do you need something fancy? Do you need a virtual pro like what do you need? And some of them are going to be like, oh, what? you know, we look a lot of ideas. So just some sketches is fine. Uh, it doesn't need to be the level of the product you submitted to us. So with novelty, you can get away with more. But I would recommend making that relationship by sending them the first one, then asking them what is okay. Now, you could also email a bunch of novelty companies and say, what kind of level of submission would you like? I'm a novelty inventor, and I have a lot of ideas. You could do that up front as well. Um, but that is, is something interesting, Raul. You can get away with a lot less. But I would ask them. You can ask them after you submitted the first one, or you could just ask them beforehand too. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and they'll all have different, they'll all be different. So Jason from Fred and Renz was okay with conceptual sketches, but not everybody will be. So um, Joseph, how should I interpret it when a company has an idea submission page on their website, but within that page, they say they are not open to unsolicited product submissions. Well, that's confusing. So they have a idea submission page. They're not open to unsolicited. I think what, what they're saying is you need to get permission first. Don't blindly send me your submission. So um, let me see. You said they have an idea submission page. So what they're saying is follow the instructions. Some companies are weird, like, uh, you know, I, there was um, actually this isn't weird, but um, we had uh, the gentleman from Scrub Daddy on um, uh, Andrew Krause. Um, OK, sorry, Aaron Krause. I'm Andrew Krause with SS and he's SE. So Aaron Krause, Scrub Daddy, huge, $256 million in sales. And he came on and he had a different process. He didn't want an unsolicited submission. What he wanted is like what category is, and I don't think this is typical, but some companies want this. Tell me what area it's in, like without telling me specifically what the invention is. And then I'll tell you if we're looking for something in that area. 
Um, so that's what he wanted. So if they have the read through the page, the submission page, and if they're unclear, just ask them, how do you, what do you want? So what they're saying is don't like email it to us unsolicited. Don't send us to LinkedIn unsolicited. Um, follow our directions. And if the, the directions aren't specific enough, ask them. So that's what they're, because it sounds like they have a submission page, but don't send it unsolicited. So maybe it means that they want you to sign their non-disclosure or non-confidentiality, which is common uh, first, that sort of thing. So that's what they're talking about. Without looking at the specific page, I can't tell you, but in general. So just ask. Read through the page, because if you don't read through the page, then they're going to go, didn't this dude read through the page? And inventors do that stuff, you know? Um, I'll tell you a little story. Actually, it's on Fred and Friends earlier. Um, so Steve and I run this uh, Inventors Groups of America, which is a group we formed about three years ago to support inventor association leaders across the country. And we do some free education for inventors there as well. We don't sell anything. It's completely free. And it's called Inventors Groups of America. And um, we, in a newsletter we sent out um, that Fred and Friends looking for ideas. Now, this isn't invent right students. These aren't people that have been trained on how to license. It's just random people that can, inventors that can join Inventor Groups of America, which is everything's free there. Um, and we said Fred and Friends is open to ideas. And this is just before Jason was heading off to uh, the houseware show. And he got flooded literally days before he's going to head to the houseware show, which is very stressful with ridiculous ideas that made no sense for their product line. If you look at their product line, they're, they're functional novelty. They're functional products for the kitchen, but they're funny and quirky as well. You know, like they have these wooden stirring spoons that's actually a drumstick. So the end of the, the wooden stirring spoon is a drumstick. So you could hit on the, the, the pot with the drumstick and then you could stir stuff, right? That sort of thing. It really cool. Check out their Fred and Friends website. Um, I forget what the website is. Oh, genuinefred.com, I think is the website. But he got inundated with people like, here's my um, bicycle rack invention. And what they were doing is they saw that said, this company's open to ideas, and they didn't even bother to look at the company's product line. So when inventors do this, it's incredibly unprofessional. It makes all the rest of you look bad. And actually, some companies will stop receiving ideas because they get inundated with ideas that make no sense for their product line. So you could do the same thing with the submission form. Read it through twice, three times, understand what they're looking for. Are some companies not clear? If they aren't, email them, get clarity. Or if, the, if for some reason there's no emails, fill out the form, get clarity. Say, I want to be clear. I want to send you what you guys want. So there's a lot of opportunities for inventors to be unprofessional and uh, inventors that are not invent rights students uh, take that opportunity and they they are unprofessional. I, I have you have no idea some of the stories I've heard. And it makes you guys, which are more on top of things, um, you know, look bad. You know, but when you send good stuff and you're very thorough, it makes you look good. Wow. You know, this when we they as companies say constantly, the stuff we get from invent rights students is so much better. It's easy to see they're invent rights student. Because they've thought about it, it's you know it's at least somewhat in the right category. It's it's they don't have this rambling email. They have a nice clean sell sheet or video sell sheet, and they really companies love working with InventRight students. Um, and you guys being fans, I would say you're definitely a notch up from um, just the average inventor on the street because you're getting some education, you know, through these sessions and through the YouTube videos. Um, 
Okay, let's see. That was that was Joseph. Uh, Bobby says, wouldn't the unilateral NDA cover any contributions made by a signer that belongs to the inventor? Um, rarely. That's really scary for, yeah, a, a, a bilateral NDA that we won't disclose what you show us and we won't disclose what you show them, but not an improvements clause. An improvements clause that says whatever you send them, they can't come up with any improvements. And if they're working a lot of stuff in that space, that scares companies. So yeah, uh, a unilateral NDA, we won't share what you showed us and you won't share what we show you. Maybe they tell you about, hey, we're working on this other product and this might fit in with that and you won't disclose those sort of things. But an improvements clause scares companies. So you have to be very careful with that. Um, uh, Leela, I often have ideas off the top of my head. I submit to novelty companies. Should I write a provisional for each product? Um, my official answer to you is, and we give to all our students, is you should always file a provisional patent before submitting a product to a company. But I'll tell you that in novelty, they're, they're so like quirky and fun and you can quickly sketch them up or have somebody sketch them up. And the novelty companies like to see more ideas before they pick one. And so I know of novelty inventors that will not file a provisional every time they show something to a company, especially with companies they already know and they're used to showing them a lot of ideas. But that is not the advice I'm officially giving you. I'm just telling you that I know inventors do that. And that if you're going to do it in a particular category, I think it makes uh, more sense in um, novelty than it would other areas. Uh, and, but, you know, a lot of you, you know, if you're new to a submitting products, filing a provisional for 70 bucks, give you the warm and fuzzies, you're protected and you just don't hesitate as much. And so it, it just for the mental well-being um, of pushing forward with no hesitation, it can help people that are new to the game. Um, let's see. Okay, Adam here. I've got a great, I've got a great sell sheet, good prototype, great scripts for contacting companies, but I'm having trouble getting replies from companies that just companies just to show my sell sheet. Any ideas? Um, well, if you have a a great sell sheet, good prototype and great scripts for contacting companies, the prototype and the sell sheet doesn't matter because it's about getting their permission. I mean, those things matter, don't get me wrong, but you need to get, yes, send it to us. You need to get permission. So in that case, you say you have great scripts for contacting companies. Um, maybe they're not great scripts. You know, maybe you're not, I don't know how you're reaching out, Adam, but uh, maybe whatever you're saying on, LinkedIn isn't right. Maybe what you're saying on the phone isn't right. Um, maybe your, your perception of not getting any okays, trouble getting replies from companies. So replies, so to me, partly that means you're not calling anybody. That means must mean you're emailing or just doing LinkedIn. You're not calling because you're saying replies. Um, so I think there, there good, might be a good chance that you're just sending emails. Um, so you said any ideas? Yeah, pick up the phone and call them. Um, and with LinkedIn, make sure you get them into your network first and don't send custom connection requests. And then a couple days after they add you or a week, then hit them up. So if you're hitting them up straight away, 
without letting them add to your network first, that's your problem. That doesn't work. Um, so, and then I don't know where you got your scripts or what they are, but they may not be right. Maybe, you know, so, uh, so there's some feedback there. Uh, Michael says, what is the best way to have a beta version done for your product? He means a prototype. Uh, just get a virtual prototype done. Just get some sort of drawing that looks like the product, a 3D rendering without any dimensions and sell the benefit of the product because that's what you're truly selling. You're selling the benefit of your product. You're not selling your prototype or a patent. So, and see what the interest level is, go fishing. And that's something that we've been telling our students forever, saves our students a tremendous amount of time and money. Um, a lot of people want to look for excuses not to reach out to companies because they're afraid to do it and having to make a prototype. Oh, I don't have the money for a patent. There's a million reasons why. And we remove all those reasons, you know, to think that, oh, well, this company shows interest and I don't have this perfect, beautiful prototype. They're going to kick me the curb. It's not true. So and if you thought that that was true and you thought you had to have a prototype, I'm telling you, you don't. Now, again, varies by product, but most of the time you don't. Um, so when we're on these group, you know, live chats, you know, I, without looking at your product, I, I can't say 100% for sure, but I can give general advice that, that um, is true most of the time. Uh, uh, hi, Andrew. Thank you for doing these Q&As. I have a unique, this is from Margie. I have a unique pillow idea with a unique cover. Do I need to have a PPA for each item? No, you can wrap... You can, especially when they're related, you can wrap those into the same PPA. I get that question all the time. Um, if you had a, a bicycle rack and a pillow, are you going to throw them in the same PPA? No. But if you have the pillow case and the pillow, you can definitely throw those in the same provisional patent application. Absolutely. Uh, again, everything tonight is not legal advice. Seek the service of an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, let's see. Philip, hi, Andrew. If we submit an idea to, a, to multiple companies and get interest from two different companies, which I'm guessing is rare. No, it's not rare at all. It's very common to get initial interest from multiple companies. How should we go about choosing the right one um, and how to respond to both? So the way we approach God, our students would be screwed if we didn't, if we didn't uh, give this advice. This is very important. You move forward with them both as if the other one doesn't exist. We get students to approach 30 companies, get interest from five. And we say, move forward with everyone as if the other one doesn't exist. They'll just naturally fall off. It's rare you're at a final contract stage of a negotiation and you've still got two or three companies interested. So um, move forward with everyone as if the other one doesn't exist and do not pit them against each other and do not talk about the other ones. If you start talking about one with another and then they're like, oh, well, then they're going to talk to them about me. And so that's betrays a, a trust that you should have, you know, so don't, don't do that. So it's very basic advice, but most inventors would never do that. And then they'll be, here's the deal. This will drive you crazy. Let's say you have 20 companies, 25, let's say you reach out to company. Oh, you get a little interest. Okay. The average negotiation from initial interest to close for us over 20 years is three months. Some could take five or six, could, could take a month and a half, but the average is three months from initial interest to the signing of the contract. 
So let's say you get interest from this company and you stop calling other companies, which is what most inventors would do. Oh, these are my guys. These are my guys. Back and forth, back and forth. Oh, well, you get some close time. I do this. And then, ah, we decided not to after two and a half months. Oh, crap. Now you reach out to three more. Oh, I got another one interested. Okay. Back and forth, back and forth. Two months this time. Oh, we decide we're not interested. So, so you can string this thing out forever. If you're, if you're approaching multiple of them all at the same time, multiple all at the same time, then you get it done. And there's, there's no reason to string this thing out over a year. It's ridiculous. Don't make that mistake. Most inventors that are not InventRight students or InventRight fans will make the mistake. It's a giant, stupid mistake. And you sit around like being anxious. Like if that one company showed interest, others probably would show interest too. So you should be energized by that and reaching out to other companies. So it's a great question, Philip. Um, don't worry about it for two seconds and reach out to all your companies from the get-go and and don't just go, these are my guys. Don't You have no loyalty to them whatsoever for them just showing some interest, okay? Until they sign the deal, you don't have that. It could get a little sticky if they're like spending $5,000 on a prototype or something. Okay, then you need to deal with that. But most companies are just going to get some quotes and things and figure out if it makes sense. And then you can go from there. Uh, Jake, I've got an idea that's small on something that's used every day, but it would be great on something else that could be a problem. <laughs> okay, Jake, I can't answer that. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Um well, let's 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 see if I can answer it in some general way. I've got an idea that's small on something that's used every day. Okay, um, but it would be great on something else that could be a problem. Okay, so you're let's just assume what you're talking about. You're taking something from somewhere and it's being used and putting it somewhere else, and that's very common to do that when you're inventing. Um, so that's okay, and it's got some new use. It's got new functionality over here. Now, again, I don't know what your product is, so I can't say that for sure, but it's got some new functionality. It's a different category. It's being used in a different way. So that sounds very viable. That's very common, and it's not something you should usually be concerned about. Um, let's see. Uh, Clay says, how important is it to have an LLC set up before pitching a patent? I don't think it's important for pitching a patent, but I think it's very important that you always do a licensing agreement under an LLC or a corporation and never under your own name. We always insist that our students file an LLC when you're in the midst of signing a deal, but it's not something that's required in order to go fishing and see if there's interest because LLCs are kind of a pain. Like in California, it's like 800 bucks a year and you got to maintain it. In Nevada, where Stephen and I live, it's 200. In some states like Michigan, I think it's like 40 bucks. It's cheap, but you got to like maintain it. It's just one more pain in the butt thing to do. So, and the company could care less if you're, if you're doing business just under your own name before and you're like, hey, guys, I want to do it under my new LLC, they could care less. So don't think like it will mess you up because I don't, I don't know how that would mess you up. So it is important to always do the deal under LLC or corporation. Um, but I don't think it's that important before. Again, not legal advice. Seek the services of an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, Aaron says, uh, thanks for doing these. Andrew, always learning something new, watching uh, you answer questions. Cool. It is a little weird, isn't it? It's like I'm just reading questions and then rambling, and I'm just seeing myself on the screen and none of you guys. It's, it's, a, it's a different format, but I've gotten used to it because I've been doing this for a while on YouTube, and everybody says they like it. So um, let's see. 
Yeah. So uh, Lon was just, you know, um, commenting with a smiley face. It's not a, a child is perpetual. He had the energy device, energy and machine invention, any patent application, even claiming that that is rejected right anyway, without further analysis. Yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you guys have seen, I'm not making fun of mentally ill people, but we've all seen people, homeless people or people with mental conditions, and they'll have these, I forget what you call it, delusions of grandeur. They think they're going to be the next president or they're, the world is coming to an end or I have a machine that, you know, will produce energy forever, at no cost or things like that. And, and I've talked to my share of those inventors. I'm always very nice, um, but I can tell the difference between somebody that is a scientific background. Now, some people aren't, they're not, they're not crazy energy inventors, but they just don't have the background in science. So they have this concept and they need somebody to prove it. And then it takes a lot of research and stuff to do that. So they're tough ones to work on. So don't think anybody has an energy invention. I'm saying is crazy. I'm really into that. I'm, I'm really into solar, actually. I'm fascinated by solar and kind of studying solar. I actually got a book here from another YouTuber, um, uh, Will Prowse. And he actually lives in Henderson, where I live here. And, and so I'm in the process of putting solar on my RV and stuff. So I, I, I love energy inventions. I think they're great. So don't get me wrong. I'm not, um, not ribbing energy inventors. Um, that's, you know, geez, just imagine all the great stuff we can do all the wars we can prevent and stuff if we can find energy inventions where we're no longer dependent on oil and things like that. So they have my full support, energy inventors. Um, okay, very general question, but a lot of people, especially those that you knew, they're thinking of this. Um, RB says, how do you stop companies from ripping you off when you submit an idea? So this is what I can say. In 20 years, we've had students in over 65 countries um, we've never had a student that I'm personally aware of that has been ripped off by a company that they have presented to, privately showed their invention to. Um, I have talked to inventors that say they were ripped off, um, but when they tell me the way, some of them, when they tell me the way they conducted themselves, most of them, um, with the company, I'm like, wow, okay, you were acting nuts. And the company was really like... They were, they were talking to the company, company was showing interest, company started doing stuff, started moving forward. And then the inventor's like, well, then I asked for a quarter million dollars and they didn't want to pay it. And I'm like, uh, that's not what you would do. That's not how licensing works. You get paid as they make money and they're selling units, then you get paid a royalty per unit. And they're like, well, it's totally worth that, Andrew. I'm like, I don't care if it's worth that. You know, Maybe you get paid half a million dollars over, over 10 years or something, over five years. You don't ask for that all up front. And now they move forward and all that. And now you pissed them off, you know? And so I've talked to inventors and I'm saying that I'm not saying it's justified to rip an inventor off. That's asking for something that's unreasonable, but you know, you got them moving forward and they're asking for crazy stuff. Um, so, but I've never had one of our students that I know of get ripped off by, at a, by a company that they presented to. I've had some students that were concerned about it and I gave them some, what I call, um, uh, little things to kind of, not in a paranoid way, because you don't come off paranoid inventor, to make, keep them guessing. And they said those things to the company, either verbally or via email as they're leaving. Oh, thank you. And I realize you're not interested. No worries. And I, you know, I filed some additional intellectual property that they hadn't showed them. This is one thing you can do to kind of keep them guessing. And the inventors, I said, well, you know, keep tabs on their website. And I've never had an inventor who came back and said, oh, no, now they came out with it. I see it on their website. 
you know, they, they've, you've got this paper trail. So to answer your question, RV, you've got this paper trail on what you've shown them and when. You've got the provisional patent you've filed. Um, they would not be first true inventor. Um, the most, I think if a company's going to rip you off, this is my biased viewpoint. Again, this is not black and white, guys. It's more than likely to be a mom and pop company. But if it's a bigger company and they have a board of directors, they're terrified of lawsuits. They're more afraid of you than you should be of them. So it's the mom and pop companies where you got a stupid CEO or uh, management that is acting egregiously because they're not accountable to a board of directors like at a bigger company and they make stupid decisions and they make rash decisions and they make decisions that any big company they're worried about um, liability. You know, so I'm, am I saying that no inventor has ever been ripped off by a company? Of course, I'm not saying that. But the best form of protection that I always say is conducting yourself professionally. So our students, when they don't send wacky emails, when they send good sell sheets, when they conduct themselves in the phone professionally, that is the best form of protection. So I think the three or 4%, it's a random number, guys. This isn't a solid statistic. But the three or 4% of companies, that's my guesstimate, that would consider ripping you off. When they see you know what you're doing, they see you're conducting yourself professionally. Let's say you're talking to Cindy and she's the marketing manager and she has an unethical CEO. His name is Bob. All right. And Bob likes this product. And he says, Cindy, why should we pay this inventor? And Cindy's like, well, I think we should pay him because he look, he's not like that wacky inventor from a year ago. He's conducting himself very professionally. I can see he knows what he's doing. I think this is the liability. Bob's like, Whoa. well, and Bob, what I think we should do, I think either we should pay him a royalty or we should move on. But he's filed a he's filed a patent. I believe it's a provisional patent. He's covered himself. I don't think we should go around him. So I can't guarantee you that those conversations that happen um, by companies that our students present to, but because our students are acting so professionally, it's not what you think. Uh, was it? Got all these more questions came in, and then I lost track here of who was asking that question, RB. It's, that's not what you thought, RB. It's like, oh, I get a patent. I have an issued patent and nobody can touch me. That's bullshit. A patent is just a right to sue. So I actually think the best form of protection is creating a paper trail, filing a provisional patent, and conducting yourself professionally, not doing wacky stuff. Companies will sometimes try to work around inventors that are being completely unreasonable, and that can happen. And if they're legally working around your stuff, but if you'd been more level-headed, they wouldn't have done that. And I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying I'm totally okay or it's whatever, but they can work around stuff if they want to. Um, that's why it's nice to kind of keep them guessing as to what protection you have or not have. And that's why you don't want to show the provisional patent early on. And you can always have additional provisionals filed. Like, oh, I filed some additional provisional. Oh, can I see that? Well, I thought you weren't interested. You know, and it's like, oh, and now they're thinking like, well, I don't know what they covered. And they, he says he's got a better version. He's covered it. So there's a lot of ways of, of dealing with that. Um, what I'll say, RB, is... Nine times out of ten, it's not the it's not the company that rips off the inventor. It's the inventor that rips themselves off by never showing their product to a company out of their own fear. So the real problem is not companies ripping off inventors. It's inventors ripping themselves off by thinking every time they need to have an idea, they need to spend ten grand on a patent, and all these companies are there to steal your idea. It's it's bullshit. It's totally not true. Now, does that mean that no company is ever going to rip off inventor? Absolutely not. Of course not. 
but you conduct yourself professionally, you do what you can, and you assume that risk. If you feel like, oh, there, there needs to be a way where there's zero risk, well, this is business. There's no such thing. There's no such thing in business in general. If you start a sandwich shop, is there a guarantee that nobody's going to start another sandwich shop close to your sandwich shop and take some of your business? No. This is the same thing with this sort of thing. So get real. Um, be okay with assuming a certain amount of risk, but reduce your risk by doing these things, by filing a provisional patent, by creating a paper trail, by conducting yourself professionally. Those are some of the great forms of protection. So um, RV, I love the question because you know there's a ton of other people that are listening that are thinking the same thing. And some of you guys may have heard me do a YouTube show or something on this topic, but some of you haven't. So, hope, so thank you for asking a great question, RV, that benefits everybody. Um, and that's what I really want to do with these uh, YouTube live streams. I want you to I want to answer questions that are beneficial to everybody. And if you ask something that's so specific for your idea, then it might not apply to everybody and you can't disclose your idea anyway. So um, um, so Eric says, hi, Andrew, should I get a manufacturer? to sign an NDA before I send CAD drawings to get a quote, or will that be come off as offensive? No, you know, once the company's seen your product and they want more information, like a CAD drawing in particular, they're almost always okay with signing an NDA. Almost always. So, you know, it's, it's you know, and then, then they're signing the NDA, your NDA, from the few inventors they showed interest in, not the 300 in a month that they got. And so they can review your NDA and make sure they're okay with it. But if they get an NDA before they even see your idea, your NDA, and they need to review 300 NDAs to make sure that your NDA doesn't say they own their company, you know, or something crazy like that, you know, then they, they don't want to do that. But if, if you're sending CAD drawings, they've shown some interest, you filed your PPA before, that's your main form of protection. Um, no, I think it's very reasonable to ask them to sign your NDA once they've showed interest and you've had a couple talks with them and they want some of your CAD drawings if you have them. A lot of our inventors, they don't have CAD drawings, nor do you need them. But if you have them, Eric, I think that's very reasonable, very reasonable. So when you hear a sign, don't ask every company to sign your NDA, hear a saying thing like that. It's, it's not black and white, it's when. And these are the types of things we help our students out with. Um, I uh, Sake said, I just released my invention to the ammunition industry this week for free. Um, Sake, I, I don't know why you do that. I, I think that if you have an invention, um, you deserve to get paid for it. So I, I don't know why you would do that. Um, I don't know why you need to release it for free. Um, you know, I mean, open source in a lot of ways with, you know, software and things can be cool, but I don't know why that's necessary for ammunition. Um, but, you know, I don't know your whole story. So you can, but maybe because you thought you couldn't afford to try to license it or didn't want to bother. But if you can file a provisional for 70 bucks and fish off the pier for a whole year, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. And then approach ammunition companies and license it to one of them, receive royalties. If you don't want the royalties, you could donate the royalties to something, you know? So um, I don't know why you did that. Um, if you type in at the bottom, I'd like to know why you did that. And before we get off here in a few minutes, um, it's, it's an interesting comment. Uh, you know, people just type things in here. So it's, you know, you don't always have the whole story. So if, if, if we're ever on these live sessions, which we're not going to do forever, by the way, we didn't do this before the condition that's happening right now. On YouTube, you're not supposed to use the word. 
because something happens. So I'm not using the word before this current business environment with what's going on in the world right now happened. Um, you know, we didn't do these live YouTube streams. So we thought it, thought it'd be really cool to during, during these, um, this current environment. Um, and we just really enjoy it, but we won't be doing these forever. Um, but I don't have a date where I decided I'm going to stop doing it. So, um, but since we've been doing these, you know, uh, you guys can only type so much. So if whatever reason you're like, well, Andrew didn't fully answer my question. Well, I might not have all the details, but I think I give do a good job giving the, the details, um, giving the answers that everybody can understand, um, even though it might not specifically completely answer your question. Um, let's see. Uh, Andrew says, no, you're addressing me, Andrew. Blue Caveman. Okay, you didn't write your name, dude. We'll call you blue. Um, Andrew, I have an idea I am working on, but I also have come up with two other similar models. Should I present my original idea first, then present my two other ideas models or present the three? You need to pick. This is really hard for inventors. You just need to pick the best one and put your best foot forward. Now, when if they reject your first one, they say, no, I'm not interested. Say I've got, you could say I've got two other variations. Can you take a quick look? If there's substantially difference and would make a difference. If like, but if the benefit's the same and they just weren't interested in the benefit, you know, you, you have to pick one. You can't pick three versions. It just doesn't work. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. It's hard to do, but you got to pick one of them. Um, again, there's sometimes there's an exception without knowing you're specifically there might be an exception there but whenever i can tell you when our where students have multiple variations we almost always make them pick one it's almost never here's my three versions it's, you know um pro innovate hey hey keith uh keith's a former student keith lawrence here i love the q a shows and that they are archived to be listened to later great keith keith's likes a bunch of products very flattering keith that you would um, come on, listen to me ramble when since you've uh, licensed a few products. Um, I'm assuming Keith, I forget Keith, I forget your last name. I'm assuming it's the same Keith I'm thinking of. I'm almost positive um, that the Keith that was a student of ours was Lawrence. I'm not sure. You can correct me, Keith, if you want. Um, type in at the bottom if, if you were a past student. Maybe that was, I forget your last name. So I forget the Keith's last name that was a student. Now I sound like I'm rambling. I had a long day, guys. I think I'm doing pretty good considering what a long day I had. Um, <laughs> Vic says, how long does it take for a contract slash licensing deal to happen as I have ADD and the anticipation is killing me? So, um, yeah, like I said, the average when we are guiding our students, which is proper, is uh, the average is three months. Now, I just took on a new student. Um, Joanna, she's fantastic. Um, her, she's helping her dad, and they've been. I'm not disclosing anything confidential here. And they just became a student. We're helping them with the negotiation. They've been had interest from a company for two years. They weren't doing it right. Okay, so when you're doing it right, using the event right approach, the average is three months. Could be a little less. Could be a little more. Um, but you know, and right now, our negotiation coach Paul has actually more deals in the hopper than usual with our students, but they're, he's noticing they're taking longer because of COVID. They're just taking a little longer to get back, a little longer to do the deals, which is perfectly fine, um, but it will drive you insane. 
And so Stephen doesn't mind me saying this. I've said this before. Stephen is the most impatient person in the world. He said this publicly, so he doesn't mind me saying this. Um, and he's done very well with licensing. So if he can license stuff and be patient, you can. The way you deal with it, Vic, is to, if, if you're not in advanced contract stage, um, you can reach out to more companies. Keep yourself busy doing that. Um, but if you're like really more advanced contract stage and you're just waiting back for a few things, uh, it, it, it kills most inventors. It just drives people insane but it just is what it is. So make sure you have somebody guiding you. Um, I don't memorize all of our students by name, so I don't recall, I don't know if you're a student or not. Um, I would need to check her database. There was a time where I knew every student's name and I knew every deal and everything, but we've gotten big enough where I don't. So um, let's see. So yeah, Vic, it, it's just, it'll drive you insane. It, it, that happens for everybody because it's kind of a slow process. Um, <laughs> Jay says, you should place the legal advice disclaimer at the bottom of the screen so you won't have to say it periodically. Yeah, it's kind of obnoxious that I say it over and over. Uh, there's been, I think, some videos where I didn't say it at all. Um, I just want to, I, I just want to cover butts. You know, we're, we're, you know, it's just important to do that. So hopefully that's just the price you pay for getting free advice, Jay. I'm just joking. Um. Uh, Chad said, are there any product types where you might recommend a prototype? It really depends on the product, if it's necessary or not. It's not the product type. It's like, is a company, you know, if, if a company shows interest in your marketing piece and they're like, well, how do we make this? And you're like, oh, well, there's, see, there's that thing over there and we're just going to change a little like this. And like, oh, okay. You know, then, you know, why would you make one? Um, but Sometimes you want to make a prototype because you want to show it working in a video, but it doesn't really work quite right, but you shoot the video 10 times and the one time it works right, that's the one you show. There's so many things that I could talk about with prototypes, so it's, it's hard to answer that without giving specific examples. Um, uh, Brandon, you uh, said multiple PPAs or one PPA with variations. Thanks, Andrew. You're the real deal. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm not good at everything in life. But when you, if you do something for 20 years and that's all you do for two decades or more, you better be good at it. And I'm really proud that we're really good at, and our whole team is really good at licensing. Um, no, you, you can throw all the variations and you should throw it in your first PPA, but then a company mentions something, oh crap, I didn't cover that. Or you think of something, then you file a second PPA, just file the first one again. You take the additional stuff and the protection from the first date, the first PPA and the second date, that is the additional stuff in it from the second date. Um, and we could get into a lot of detail with that, those timelines, but um, throw all the variations into your first PPA. That's the way you're supposed to do it. But if you later think of something, it's only 70 bucks to file another one. So go for it. Um, Michael says, shout out to Stephen Key. Would really like to see him live with you. You need special software to do the YouTube stream live. I asked Stephen if he wanted to. He's like, Andrew, you're doing so good. That's your thing, man. Um, and he's been doing a great job with the YouTube shows lately. I interviewed two of our students that licensed a product um, today. And those should be coming out. And then I got three more this week. And then I'm going to try to have five next week. So you're going to see a lot of videos. I just, we have a lot of students licensing products, but um, I just didn't take the time to interview them. So my goal is to interview within the next 
um, two weeks, 15 InventRight students that have licensed products and try to find as many of them as possible that already have a product on the market so we can actually show the product. Because um, some of you are like, well, that's great, Andrew. They did a deal. They talked about um, the process and all that, but I'd love to see the product. So I'm trying to interview more people. Um, so hopefully I'll have two and a half weeks from now, I'll have 15 of those interviews in the can. So look for those. And if you guys could do me a favor, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, click down below. I think on the live stream, you can click on subscribe. Please click on subscribe. We just hit our 40,000 mark. If you're not subscribed, just click on subscribe. It's not gonna like send you stuff. So don't worry about that, but it just helps our ranking. And then click on the thumbs up button to really, really appreciate that. We Some YouTubers, they're like, constantly telling people click subscribe click the thumbs up and and I, we don't normally say that and i think i'm going to start doing that because it really helps us helps the show helps more inventors find us too so i'm going to try to start doing that again um uh fabrizio andrew is such a nice guy thank you um yeah i i, I my family's always said i really like to help people so 20 plus years ago before that, actually, when I was running my inventor association, I found my calling. Um, and this is it. I just love doing this. Um, how can you not like helping people that are so passionate about what they're doing? So passionate about your ideas. And the people I like to help are the, the uh, small percentage of inventors that are willing to do the work. And I, I mean that truly. A lot of people come up with ideas, but they're not willing to do the work. And what the YouTube show does is it helps people understand the work they need to do and it filters people out. Like if somebody watches our show and goes, wait a minute, this guy wants me to do some sort of work. I have great ideas. They should just, you know, somebody should just take the idea and run with it for me. You know, like some, and those inventors end up getting victimized by invention promotion companies. Oh, give us 12 grand. We'll do it for you. And nothing ever gets licensed. Right. Um, and I, I don't want to help those inventors. I want to help people that want to do the work, that are passionate about their idea, but they're not lazy about doing the work. And we can remove all the obstacles and the worries that you guys have and empower you to do that work. Whether you're a fan or just or just read our book or whether we're coaching you, I want to help those inventors. And these shows help people figure out, well, do I want to do that work or not? And I bet a lot of people watch your show and go, ah, it sounds like too much work. But to me, it's like, nothing compared to running a business. It's great. And a lot of people go, wow, I could do this. I don't need 10 grand for a patent. I don't need to spend five grand on a prototype. I can reach out to companies. I can do this. And and I, and I our whole team at EventRight really loves empowering people to, to realize they can live their dream, you know, but it's going to require work. So, and, and whether you're in the process of figuring that out, that's fine. So you might not have decided I want to make that leap, whether it's on your own or with us coaching you. And we, by doing these shows, live shows, YouTube shows, we're helping you figure that out. Um, but I want to help people, inventors that want to do work. I don't want people that want to make a million dollars overnight with no effort. And they think they don't have to do any work. That's just not business. They're not business people. And, and you know, uh, you're a business person if, you, if you're dedicating yourself to do that work. So, um, I'm uh, about four minutes over, and I it's about 6.14 for me. Um, I still got some stuff I got to take care of, guys. I got some some students to take care of and some emails to take care of, so I got to hop off. Um, really enjoyed um, talking to you guys. Uh, yeah.
Cool. Thank you. I was just reading a few of the comments there. So welcome, Philip. You're welcome, Philip. And you're welcome, everybody. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this. If you didn't enjoy it, just don't come back and watch the show. But if you enjoy it, check out our show. Um, click on subscribe. Please help us out. And click on the thumbs up button. Helps us out. Help us out there as well. And tell your friends about the show. You know, if you've been watching our shows, um, we're not hucksters. We're not trying to sell you the next latest, greatest course. Yes, we do have a coaching program, but anybody I think can comfortably watch our shows and feel like I'm getting great information. They're not like constantly trying to sell me on their programs or, or their books or what have you. So um, thank you, everybody. All right. So take care, everybody. Keep inventing and we'll catch up with you next time. See, we're going to be back here uh, next Wednesday at 510 Pacific. So check that out. And if you want to watch other recordings of other live streams I've done, you guys are welcome to do that as well. But it's kind of cool to get questions answered live. If I didn't get to your, your, your question, I could not get to everybody. Today, I actually went from top to bottom. So if you didn't get your question answered and you got an important one, show up earlier next time. There might be a better chance that I answer yours. Sometimes I go randomly all over the place. Um, but uh, anyway, take care, guys. See you. Bye.